Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 1-25-2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We also thank you, Father, for bringing us together for another time to focus our attention on your words. It is precious time for us, and we recognize the importance of, you know, dedicating ourselves and our time to be able to be in front of your words and in your spirit to teach us. Father, we pray for those who are sick among us. We pray for those who are mourning the loss of loved ones uh, at this hour. We pray for those who are praying for their loved ones to be healed and are struggling with sickness and pain at this hour. Father, we pray for their healing, asking that your will be done. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we are. We um, started Romans 11. This is where we are, Romans 11 and verse 32 says, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And we covered a half of this verse last week and we thought we would leave uh, the other half for this week. So this is what we want to do is to try to, I think we, I should say try, but we will cover this half this week, which is the last half of the verse that says, so that he may have mercy on them all. And I think uh, we covered a lot last week, and I, I will pause at the end of this for some Q&A. If there's any feedback, questions, thoughts, I would love to hear them. Uh, so uh, we will jump right in to where we are. Uh, in your notes, as we investigate this next passage, we can see God's wisdom on display. When it comes to the business of saving lost man, God allows us to see his insight, which, also, which allows us to partner with him in this superhuman task. Even though he called us to be partners, we must know that we cannot save anyone. God does the saving. This verse helps us put mo God's motives in perspective as they relate to the plan of salvation for all mankind. So as I said, we covered this. Now just <clears throat> by way of uh, recap, we just want to point out a few points here. And I will go to F, one, uh, not, yeah, one F. How has God done this? First, we should dispel the ways man thinks it may have happened. And what do we mean, done what? bound everyone over to disobedience. That's what we're talking about. So <clears throat> the first one is people think it happened because of natural, that natural consequence of sin. Some people think sin is sort of personified as having a life of its own. Right? It, so you... When you commit sin, there are natural consequences that happen. And these are not consequences that God imposes, but consequences because the nature of sin and so forth. 
Sin is rebellion against God. And so God is active in the judgment of this rebellion. We should note that God can then have a solution for sin. Sin is not like those toys you used to get, or we used to get for kids, where you grab it and it's just like this thing that just keeps going through your hands and you can't really grab it. People think that's how sin is. It's kind of like, uh, you know, slippery. It, you can't fully grab it because it will just squirt out. But it, sin can be dealt with. God does have a solution for the sin problem. We, we should make that as part of our understanding because since he shared that solution with us, we should be of availing ourselves of its wisdom. And that's what we're doing. And this verse really does uh, capture God's thinking in all of this. So we, we understand God judged it. We're going to say uh, it's not just a natural consequence of sin or mother nature. Point two, or that it happened because of man and their uh, choice to sin willfully. Uh, and people think, well, the problem is man did it. We sin, and that's why um, God has to make the judgment, because of us. Now, that's true to some degree, and we kind of discussed that. There is some truth to that. Adam did sin in the garden, and it was an act of his willful decision that he made. So it was, couldn't say, oh, the woman was deceived, and God, you know, that's what she said. But Adam fully knew what he was doing when he took the fruit from the woman's hand and ate it. He understood it was rebellion against the will of God. So it, that's the difference, and that is covered in point three. It happened that God bound everyone over to sin. It happened because of God's decision to declare all in Adam as one. And we, go, we went back to the word bound. He bound us, right? And that word meant shut up together or shut up completely, right? Or enclosed completely. We, couldn't, we can't get out of it because it's something that God himself did. Right? You could say, okay, Adam, he plunged, he sinned. He was our first parent and he sinned. But why does it have to be set up that everybody in Adam has to receive the same penalty as Adam received. Why can't everybody stand on their own two feet or so forth? And that is not the way God set it up. God bound everyone over to disobedience. When he says everyone, he's not just talking about what happened with Adam. He's talking about every one of Adam's descendants will experience or inherit the same consequences Adam has. So Adam sinned and when he sinned, the Bible says we all sin. Adam received the penalty for sin, condemnation. God actively condemned Adam. That's an act of God. Not just on Adam, but on the entire human race. Every person that will be born in Adam also shares the condemnation of Adam. Adam sinned, and as a result, death occurred. And as a result of that Every one of Adam's descendants are born physically alive, yes, but spiritually speaking, dead. They don't have a relationship with God. 
to start like Adam did. So there are definite consequences as a result, and each one of those consequences are because God made choices to, so that the effect of Adam's sin would be spread to all of his descendants. That includes us. So that's point number three, four. This goes beyond Jew and Gentile, right? We already said, uh, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. That's Romans 9, uh, 3, 9b. So they're all under the power of sin. Well, Jews, Jews and Gentiles alike, that's everybody. Everybody in Adam, that is. Four. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, not four. Uh, five. What is the power of sin? Quote, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So the power of sin over all of us has to do with the fact that we now, everybody born in Adam, has this rebellious nature ruling over them. I say ruling because it talks about we're slaves to the sin nature. All this is found in Romans 6. So just, just to know, and actually Romans 5.19, for just through the disobedience of the one man, that's one sin of Adam, the many, all of us who were born in Adam, were made or constituted sinners. We did, we're not sinners because we did something. We're sinners because Adam did something. Now, the fact that we have this condition, well, of course, the natural consequence is sin. People don't like to hear that because they like to think, well, I sinned, I did wrong, I ought to pay, I should be the one to, to be responsible. No, I'm sorry, you're not responsible because you were born with a nature that has a proclivity toward sinfulness. That is not your doing. You didn't ask for that. Point six, God's literal and willful act of binding everyone over to disobedience means, quote, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. That is, you, you can't say, well, it's a natural consequence that these things happen. No, God did this. This is literally, condemnation comes from the justice of God. It is, a, it is an act from the sovereign will of God to condemn all mankind because of one sin of Adam. There it is. Condemnation for all people. Now, God didn't leave us in this desperate situation. He didn't. So, we're only, we, we, we're just doing some recap here. So, we're going to move right into point number two. We're going to skip over these next points. We're going right into point number two. So that he may have mercy on them all. So before we can talk about the mercy, we just had to make sure we talked about and understood what it meant for him to bind everyone over to disobedience. We just needed to make sure we understood that. So now that we understand that, let's see what else God is going to do on the other side of the equation. Point A. So that, so here's our friend, Hina, again. 
It means that, in order that, or so that. Right? All that comes from there. And why do I make the point here that hina is listed, or this word? It is because all of that, God did this. This is an act of God to bind everyone over. And, and when we say everyone, we mean Jews and Gentiles. All, everyone that was ever going to be born in Adam. He did it, and then we have this word. So that. This is to say, there is a reason God did it. In order that, so that, and then he's going to follow with some information. So we should know that God didn't just react when Adam sinned and said, I'm going to condemn you all. I'm mad. I'm just going to do, I'm going to heavy-handedly just discipline everybody. And no, this was something that he thought out and has reasoning behind. So it's nice for us to be able to stop and look at what is that reasoning. So that what, God? So that, why did you do that? So that he may have mercy on them all. And we're going to point B. When Adam, from his free will, decided to take the forbidden fruit from the woman's hand, this was a this was the bad news. He introduced sin into the world. Now, we already know. We're covering, we're, we're sort of backtracking a little bit as we're getting to it. So Adam was the one who did this. Right? He, If you ask, how did sin get into the world? God's not going to say, well, I did it. Adam did it. Well, one man, sin, entered into the world. And death by sin. And in this way. Death came to all people, because all sinned. And when did all sin? When Adam sinned. That's how God set it up. Point C. God then, of his sovereign will, imposed this bad news upon all of Adam's descendants. So this is stuff we covered, right, already in the bad news. And I just want to reiterate that this is the case. And the reason why is because a lot of times people will hear the bad news. They'll say, yeah, I believe the bad news. I know we're sinners, this and that. But they don't have the fullness of that. There's things that are missing in their confessing that they are sinners. So there is the wisdom of God here that we need to bring to, bring to bear. So God is the one who imposes it. It is deliberate, a deliberate act of God to do this. And we just have to make sure that we recognize it so that we can understand why he did it. We'll, we're getting to that. We're getting to why. Okay, so God did this. Point D is why. <laughs> okay. And the, and the answer is, Hina tells us, so that he may have mercy on them all. So I'm just focused on the them all part, and that he may have mercy. And it, it is important that we see that we are in a helpless situation. If you, if you don't think you're in a helpless situation, and this is the problem that man, as they hear the bad news, but they don't see themselves in a situation that is utterly hopelessly, helplessly lost. There's nothing we can do. 
Well, once we see how everyone is bound over to disobedience, then God did it. And we know why he did it, to protect his righteous standard, his righteousness. He did it so that he can have mercy on them all. We'll talk about the detail, but man, clearly that answer says it all. We need mercy. We can't help ourselves. God has to be gracious and merciful to us. And in his mercy and grace, it motivates him to provide a means of salvation. We're going to get to that. Point E, what does mercy, have mercy, mean in the context? So, well, everyone is bound over to disobedience. So it can only mean that salvation is graciously offered to, and there it is, them all. That's what it means for God to have mercy. He has provision so that those who are in this position of being bound over to disobedience, there is a way of escape. And the only, but that also helps us understand there is only one way of escape, not many. God didn't condemn some and say, well, I'm going to put you all on um, this remedial plan where if you just do these things, then, then that'll be enough to satisfy me. No, nope. God condemned the entire human race because of everybody is in the same boat now. And everybody has only one way to uh, rectify that situation, and that is God's way. That's, that's the only thing we can think about. So that's what have mercy means here. It means that he's talking about people who are, who are hopelessly and helplessly lost. They need mercy. And what does God do in his grace and his mercy? He offers salvation to them all. Now that is, when we talk about salvation, it's a superhuman task, as I said there's not something we can do in terms of helping God other than to preach the gospel and be ambassadors for him. But we can't look up every single person. We can't send enough missionaries around to the world to, to tell the people that God... That just, we can't solve the issue. Even if we miss one person and say, oh, we told the gospel to everybody except that one person... And that person didn't have equal privilege and opportunity. That person then is not part of the them all. It is a superhuman task for God to be able to not only make everybody aware of the gospel, but then he has to save. He has to provide salvation, a means of salvation for every person. So... That is what is important, right? So that was E, point E. Point F, having mercy on them all, cannot mean that all will be saved. So we know this, right? It, just as bound everyone over cannot mean that all will be lost. God is dealing with free will creatures. So we should know, first of all, when we think about... Um, the way we have to respond to God is the fact that we were we have free will. Just like Adam in the garden, God says, of every tree you may freely eat, but this tree that's in the middle of a garden, you should not eat of it. If 
you do, dying you will die. So this is a direct command on Adam's will. We have a will, but because of the bad news, our will is dominated by sin and darkness and death. We don't, we can't make this a decision unless God intervenes, because otherwise we would not choose God in the first place, because he's bound us over to disobedience and the sin nature and all of that. But now God does, if he's going to preach the gospel to all, to them all, and have mercy on them all, that would have to mean providing a way of escape from that condition. So it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be saved, just like it didn't mean binding everyone over to disobedience didn't mean everybody's lost. But it means that everybody would have a choice to make in salvation because God is dealing with free will creatures. That's an, an important note. And you got people who are universalists who say, oh, well, Christ died for everybody. That means everybody's going to be saved. And they said, well, God just loves everybody. He says he loves everybody. So everybody ought to be saved because of the benefit of God. God's not going to let anybody be lost. And others, and, and they disregard the fact that Right in the same passage, it says, whoever believes. So there's free will. You have a, Believing is a decision that you make to put your trust in God's provision, Christ. If you do that, God's telling you what you will do. You will not perish, but you will have eternal life. So you're already in a state of condemnation, and the wrath of God is already on you. The only thing you can do is put your faith in God's only provision. That's what it means to have mercy on them all. Christ died for all. So then you have other people who will say, oh, well, he's not talking about everybody. Only some people are going to have this. Of course, that goes against what the whole thrust of the passage. He bound everyone over to disobedience. Uh, that he may have mercy on them all. So God's definitely dealing with mankind. He did not, he's not dealing with some in mankind. That's everybody in from Adam on, that's who he's dealing with. So I think it's pretty clear. Other, other than someone would have to twist these passages to make them say something that they don't really say. Point G. Here we see on display, the bad news and the good news, the foundation of the gospel. See, in this one short verse, it is on display for us to see it all. God, and where do, what can we do in all of this? We didn't. We are bound over to disobedience. We didn't have anything to do with that. That was God's doing. Then He has mercy on all of us. Well, that doesn't mean we're automatically saved. It means that we have a choice to make. And the result of that is some people are going to be saved and some people are not going to be saved. And the reason why they're not going to be saved, John 3.18, is because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Right? That's why they will not be saved. That's pretty simple, straightforward in my view, but uh, I'd like to hear what others think about it as well.
So that was point G. It's the foundation of the gospel. Understanding this, knowing we're bound over to disobedience, we're not going to bring our unrighteous works to God. We certainly can't be recommended by our sinfulness. Right, so we, we, we're not thinking there's something we can do because of what the bad news says about us. So it limits how we can respond to God. We cannot just respond to God any kind of way. Our response to God must, must be consistent with how God, uh, in wisdom, gave us the bad news, right? Bound everyone over to disobedience. And that leads us to our next point, point H. Binding everyone in the human race over to disobedience means that we are all in the same boat of condemnation and sinfulness. Therefore, all must be reconciled in the same way by grace through faith. This is the only way. We talk, you know, the world, the world has a lot to say about Christ being the only way of salvation. It's because a lot of times they don't have any recognition and acknowledgement of the fact of what God has done in the bad news. You have to take them back to Adam and help them understand that in Adam all die, and that includes you. And Adam, you got to sin nature, so therefore no works of righteousness. It's filthy rags in God's sight. No sins, obviously, it's not the issue, but uh, God has, what God has done on the provision side is he paid for all of our sins. Christ lived a righteous life before the Father, which can be imputed to us. So we're all in the same boat together. It is very clear that there is only one way of salvation. And you could mock it if you want. You could deny that it's not reasonable to you. You could say that there must be other ways because of people who were not born in Christian households and obviously how can they be held responsible for Christ? Well, you could say all those things, but God works on the inside, not on the outside. He works on the inside. And so that is the clearest declaration of knowledge that we possibly have. And I can imagine when, we, when people get to the great white throne judgment, and they're there, they show up there because they refuse to believe in Christ. I can believe that they are going to bring to bear. Let me tell you what I've done, God. Let me show you. I have been good. I've done this. And I've kept the golden rule or whatever they think they did. They're going to bring it forward. That will be the time. And unfortunately, it's going to come down to the fact that they don't have sufficient righteousness to be with God forever. And off to the lake of fire, it says they go. Those, their name, the names that are not sound written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's Revelation 20 and 15. So it has to be by grace through faith. We can't just be saved any way we want. We have to be saved according to God's standards and his way. So all of this helps us understand how God is thinking through all of these things. Last point here, point I. Having mercy on them all means that
that grace is offered to the entire human race. That's the first point. God has offered the entire human race a grace means of salvation. That means even though all those bad things happen to us, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to dig ourselves out of the hole that we're in. We don't, we don't have to uh, perform exemplary righteousness. We're, we don't have to atone for our sins. Uh, we don't have to keep the law. I could go on and on and say that we have nothing to do. It is all of grace. So in that, when we think about having mercy on them all, means that grace is offered to the entire human race. God did this. He arranged this. He provided for this. But it's not just, oh, it's offering us salvation. God is saying, not only am I offering you salvation by grace, but that way of receiving it satisfies me. It will also satisfy you, but more importantly, God is saying, it satisfies me and my standards. This is what I need so that you can have eternal life, that you come this particular way. So having mercy on them all means that grace is offered to the entire human race. Therefore, the means of communication from God goes far beyond what we can see as his partners. Now this goes back when I say we're his partners. God delegated and he called two groups in human history. One, obviously we know about, is Israel. But the second group he hid in himself. He didn't tell Israel about us. We're talking about the church. He didn't tell anybody about who we were. It was a mystery. It was hidden in God. No angels, not even Satan, uh, knew about this information. It was hidden. So then, God now, after, at Pentecost, it, be, it began to be revealed. God finally said, here it is. So there was two callings, not one. So we got Israel and we got the church. Both are very prominent callings by God, definite. The same words are used for both. He's elected us, he's called us, he's foreknown, predestined us. Right, the same words are used for both groups. We're adopted, but both groups have different purposes before God. That is important for you to see, different purposes. So, but one of, uh, each of the groups have the same purpose. One of the purposes for Israel was to be the priest nation to the world, to give the gospel to the nations. Well, Israel, as we said at this point, is sleeping in discipline. So God is now, the church is on the ground, but uh, the church has that responsibility as well now. We're ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. We are partners of God. All we can do is work on the outside. But knowing how God is working on the inside helps us as uh, partners to, in the will of God and when it comes to salvation. So what we should understand from all of this is how God has structured this. He bound everyone over to disobedience so that he could have mercy on them all, says that 
we can't really see all the work of God when it comes to salvation. We just don't have the eyes to see what's going on. Now we know, we know what it says when he, the Holy Spirit comes, what he will do. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, of sin, because they do not believe on me, Christ said, on me. So there, and this is what the Holy Spirit, his job to go to the whole world to tell them about Christ. And it is God's responsibility. We can't. That's not our responsibility. It's God's responsibility to do this. And I believe that he would do it properly. It goes far beyond what we can see, even as his partners. We know it's happening, but we can't see it. Now, there are times when we talk to people and we can see struggle uh, turmoil going on inside of them. We still don't know what's going on. Look at the Apostle Paul. He went from trying to drag, headed to Damascus to take Christians away. He went from that on the Damascus road to converting and putting his trust in Christ. I mean, we just can't know behind the scenes what's going on inside of a person. But guess what we can know and trust? that God is working out his salvation. And just like it says in this verse, so that he may have mercy on them all. Hopefully, this gives us a better understanding of what salvation is, a, a more foundational understanding. So as we have this as our foundation, it is part of our building process. And you might, you might not like the fact that this federal head of Adam and how all inherit everything Adam has and, and because of he's the federal head of the human race. You might not like that setup, but guess what was behind God's back when he was hiding the mystery in the church age is that now God created new creation in Christ who is the, said to be the last Adam in every uh, all the properties and principles that are within Christ now can flow to all of those who are in Christ. And that is tremendous as we think about the implications. So, without saying more at this point, I just will leave the verse saying what it is telling us already. It's told us a lot. And we have a lot to think about. So, I will pause uh, this is the time where we do have op opportunity to reflect or ask questions or just give thoughts about what we just discussed or whatever's on your mind at this point. So I will pause. The floor is open. Uh, yes, I caught um, something you had said. You were talking about um, salvation and um that those who do not believe in Jesus will not be saved. But uh, I don't think that's the whole picture. So if we take a look at John 3.18 and John 3.36, it's not just um, an unbeliever, it's one who refuses to believe. Yes. And, yeah. and that, that was important to me, so I think that needs to be stated. Yeah, 
Absolutely, that is an important point. Um, but and to note, when it says God, "for God has bound everyone over to disobedience," now that word "disobedience" is the word "apetho." It's the same word that is used there. And why do I make that a point to make? Is that because that word "bound everyone over to disobedience" means um, that everybody has it kind of explains the fact that everybody has this rebellious nature this resistance built in and, and we're, so left to ourselves we would not automatically decide that we want to believe in Christ in fact I think I'm pretty sure I put the word disobedience in here somewhere I think I did give it in the first part last week uh, so that we understood, oh yeah, 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 so it was toward toward the end, yeah, point H, disobedience, no, just apathia, which is the same root word, patho, obstinacy, obstinate, and opposition to the divine will. So that, once you are enlightened as to the gospel message, and you refuse, you resist, you, instead of allowing or trusting God and his provision, you resist God and his provision. And what happens? The wrath of God remains on you. That's John 3.36. So, yeah, that's a good point to make because it's not just, well, I failed to believe. Well, it is you failed to believe, but why did you fail to believe? Because instead of trusting God's provision, you trusted the sin nature over God. And it's not that you didn't know God's provision. You resisted his will. And this is why we say we are free will creatures. We, the fact that we have free will means that we, are ha we have to be responsible for our decisions. If God just took away every uh, consequence of every decision that we made, then we that is to say, we don't have free will. Our will is over, overruled by God every chance that God wants to overrule it. So no, he gives us the opportunity to even shake our fist in his face if we want to. God gives us that opportunity. So that's definitely a good question or good thought. Um, do you have any follow-ups or other thoughts out there? Um, just to note that it, it's the same word, and I don't, I don't know if you mentioned this, it's the same word in John 3.36. Absolutely. So it is apatheo, and it is a willfully or even perversely um, disbelief. That's so right. So not obeying, it's disobeying. Um, I, I would just add one more thing to it, because you said that um, you know, almost everybody has this would have this reaction or tendency and uh but i do remember hearing from more than one person that they would say something like well i, I can't remember a time in my life where i did not believe <laughs> yeah I and think... and yet i i know that's not from you know it's not necessarily biblical knowledge it's um probably more related to a denomination or or no, church practice. Yeah, I, I, 
I think I know. Well, it's just a religious contest. Yeah, I've heard that uh, people, and usually it's people who are raised in what we call Christianity, or by uh, parents who are declaratively Christian. So how are they going to raise their children? Well, they're going to raise their children according to Christian standards. So as far as people are concerned, growing up, they feel like, well, I've always been a Christian. As far as I know, I've always gone to church. I've always believed this, uh, you know. But we know um, we can't look at experience in this way as a true guide. We got to really say, well, what is the truth? Well, the truth is you, you were born dead. Even if you were born to Christian parents, you were born dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live and, and so forth and so on. So um, I like what Paul does in uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He even includes himself there. He doesn't say, yeah, others, it's, it's, it, what, this happened for others. No, he says, no, all of us lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were objects of wrath. So I, I understand what they're saying, but what they need to understand is what the gospel is. The gospel is true for everybody, regardless of how they feel about their experience. Right? And this is, this is like how some people will say, uh, people say, are you a sinner? And they're like, no, I don't sin. I'm a pretty good person. So the, the gospel, the bad news and the good news, is not about what you think about yourself. It's what God thinks about you. And that's the important, important thought, right? That's what informs us who we are. Uh, we could judge ourselves by other people. We could judge ourselves by our own standards. And yet, none of it will matter to God because he has his own standards. He's the only one that can save anybody. Right? You, you could come up with a very good reason for why you should be saved. But most of those people are going to show up at the last great white throne judgment. They'll make their case. They'll be able to make their case and say, yeah, uh, I was raised this or I was raised that. This is more, I've done good. I'm sure. I'm sure of it. God's that is not his, that's not going to be his testimony. And we can be sure of that. But yeah, good thought though. I, I know, I have seen people who, who have said that too. I've always been a Christian. They can't over, and I can't even tell you exactly the moment of salvation for me. I can tell you when I certainly was stirred to action and, and thought. And how I can talk about when I believed, but I can't say with certainty, oh yeah, it was on such and such a day, and at this time, that's when I believed. You know, I, I don't have that. I don't, maybe you might, but I don't. I will pause. Other thoughts? Yeah. I was just listening to a, uh, a discourse. There's a book that's coming out called Wake Up. Do you remember that situation in Texas? Yes. A while back. Yes, I do. Okay, what? so we all people get set astray, and not not just situations such as those, but um, so can we say that Satan is behind this, or 
can we just say that that's their sin nature, not responding to Christ, um, or is it a combination of both? Well, one of the things that I would say, look, um, and I, I want to probably probe a little bit more about Waco, Texas, what happened there with the Davidian cult and so forth. But um, one thing to know is when we read the Bible, we are getting an accurate view of what God has done, what man has done. And so what we should do is once we, we now have this accurate view, we should trust God that he is telling us what the, the accuracy of what he has done and accuracy of what salvation is. So I know as you look around, you might say, well, what about these people over here? What about those people over there, right? Just listen, everyone fits <laughs> to the same construct, all right? There are no exceptions for some over here or person says, no, I was born in, uh, under Islam. So basically I, would, I wouldn't have believed in Christ. I have a, I have a, a reason why and, and no, God works on the inside for every person and whatever, if God is using these sweeping terms to describe mankind and what he has done and how salvation affects them and so forth, then it does cover them all. It does cover everybody. So let me just say that first because we could listen to other people's version of their experience and then think, oh, well, maybe they didn't have the same opportunity as everyone else, right? But ultimately that's between them and God but knowing what God has done I could say that he has bound them up in the disobedience there is no there are no exceptions to this so now back to these this Davidian cult that you're talking about in Waco Texas tell me what what in particular I know who you're talking about but like what in particular about them are you uh, pointing out. Well, I guess when you see so many being led astray, um, not, and I'm not saying they have the excuse astray for one minister or one thought, but um, my my question was: so do, do we say that this is all Satan, or, or would you say those people were just leading toward their own understanding and they missed it? Yeah, I would say um, it is not. It, part of it, just like we read here, God has bound everyone over to disobedience. So that rebellious nature that was in Adam, that the, where he sinned against God, he decided of his own free will. God said, do this, he said, or don't do this. He said, I'm doing it. That's rebellion. God is saying that rebellious nature is passed down to all of, God, of uh, Adam's descendants. That includes us. So when you talk about going astray or being led astray, we're already astray. Right? We're, we're already in a place of obstinacy. So Satan, on the other hand, does have um, ways in which he wants to uh, perpetuate. Uh, and not only that, but keep people in darkness and in the kingdom of, of darkness. So we, we have the scripture that God... Um, 
and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So these people are already unbelievers, right? So that's why it says he blinds the minds of unbelievers. They're already unbelievers. But the, re the reason they're unbelievers is because they made a decision to uh, not believe the, what God has promised as provisionary for them. They made choices. Now, so what is Satan doing here? Satan is only keeping people uh, in the position, strengthening the positions that they find themselves in, right? So he's, he's, he, he doesn't want them to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. He doesn't want them to be delivered. So yes, there is an enemy of God that's out there. But I would say that when we talk, we talk about the enemy of God, the work of Satan, the sin nature, all of that, that God has more power to overcome all of those obstacles in every single person that is born in Adam under those conditions. God has more power. Even though you might say, oh, that's pretty powerful. You know, these deceptions, uh, uh, these cults, uh, these, this darkness. Yeah, it is. But remember, it started with the imposition of God. And if God imposed this imposition on all of us, certainly for him to have mercy on all of us, he has something even stronger that will deliver us uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, like it says, to the uttermost, he can redeem us from this darkness. So the darkness is not so palatable that it can't be, can't be rectified. God has more power than the darkness. So I, I would say, um, yeah, to your point, yes, Satan is involved. Yes, people are deceived and follow deceptions. Uh, in their own, by their own choice, by their own will. And they do. And they get bound up. And they get to the place where they not only deny what God has revealed to them, but they have wholeheartedly believed and trusted in a lie. And this whole trusting in a lie thing is played out quite a bit, especially in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, where it says, um, here it is. So for this reason, this is 2 Thessalonians 2.11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So it is a choice that they make. That they refuse to believe the truth. And this is what ends up happening. They believe a lie. And when they believe it, they're gung-ho for the lie. They're on fire for the lie. Unfortunately, that is what we're dealing with in this world. People who are led around by their sin nature. So I'll pause, Bill. Do you have any follow-ups or thoughts? Well, you know how you always joke, the devil made me do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but 
whatever, it's no excuse. Nothing, nothing gets them a pass. <laughs> but it's just the same. Um, you know, I was just doing the comparison between man's own sin nature and the and the, the persuasion of Satan. Yeah, I mean, um, remember we we live in a world that is falling, right? And so uh, we don't want to think about it that all things being equal, right? It's, we are living in a fallen world. Uh, and here's a good scripture. It says, uh, if we don't if we don't grow up, it says then if we do grow up and we can reach fullness in Christ, right? Where it says then. Verse Ephesians 4.14, we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Notice what's out there and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So notice, it's not like, oh, I can make this choice or make that choice. The influence for evil in this world is out there. It's rampant. And... So if you did nothing, if you chose to, to reject God's will or not, this is for for believers now. This is believers. This is not unbelievers. This is believers who refuse to grow up in Christ. And they, if, if they continue to refuse, then they'll be infants. Now, that's infants is a bad translation. The word is not like a new baby. It is the word in Greek, napios which means they should have grown up, but they haven't. They should be, up, you know, an adult, but they're acting like a child when it comes to this. The same one word that is used in 1 Corinthians 3 where it says, I wanted to speak to you as spiritual, but I couldn't. Not. But you're still babes in Christ, babies. And the word there is napios again. In other words, you should know better. You haven't grown up, and you're still uh, infatuated with the things of this world, and you'd rather make those choices rather than grow up in Christ. So it is a choice. Not only is it a choice to believe in Christ, as we've been talking about, but it's a choice to renew your mind, to, like it says, stop being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You, this is a deliberate act. If you do that, obviously, the reward is that you will receive rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Because these are believers. Only believers can receive rewards, as we already know. So notice, it's deceitful scheming, the craftiness, right? All of that is out there. Uh, false religions, false ideologies, false worldviews. Conspiracy theorists are out there running rampant in the world. So there's a lot that people um, have to contend with. We're, we're, let's say it again. We're living in a fallen world. But God is greater than all the evil and darkness and sinfulness. So he can deliver us all we have to do. And he makes it so that it is fair. I can't make it fair. But he does. He can reach every single person that is in this world. And he does, according to Acts 17. So, I'll pause.
I see, we were quiet. So um, I can only mean that there are no more thoughts at this point. So we, we don't, I will give you guys back seven minutes if that is your will. All right, we're going to close it up. Let's do just that. Father, thank you so much for this time we've had. I appreciate the questions that have come from the hearts of your people. Father, we pray as we hash these things out in our head, but we want to thank you for providing this information for us, that we now have your motive in all of this, and we can understand how it narrows the way of salvation and speaks directly to what your righteous standards are and that they are most important that we know that we serve a righteous God. So we thank you for being who you are to us. We thank you for those who have come. We pray for word is truth for all of the members that are out there. We pray that you will continue to give us wisdom as we will know how to walk in this world and how to answer every man. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.